Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Well, tonight uh, we are going back to the book of Acts again. And welcome to all those who are watching tonight. God bless you. May God just speak to you tonight. In fact, tonight I would ask you just to find one thing, and I'll tell the rest of you this as well. Just find one thing tonight that you could hold on to. It might be something I say, or it might have nothing to do with anything I say, but God's going to speak to you tonight. God's going to give you something. He always does. He's going to nudge you a little bit, okay? He'll just nudge you and encourage you with a word. When we come together, the Bible says, where there are two or three of us gathered together in the name of Jesus, that's where we are, and that's why we're here. The Bible says that Jesus is right there in the midst of us. Isn't that amazing? It's nice to know that Jesus goes to church, you know, because here we are in his name. In fact, um, I don't know how he does it except by his spirit and by his presence. He is in every church in our community tonight. He's in Bible studies and youth groups. He's, He's all over the place, and he is just hoping that someone will listen to something he's saying. Because he's talking, he's speaking, he's encouraging, he's nudging, he's drawing along, he's, he's, he's building you up. He's giving you a chance to take one more step, to hold on to something. And, and what you're going to hold on to tonight, if you'll just take one thing, you know, you may take two or three. Don't take too many, okay? Because, you know, just, just, take, just take what you can handle, okay? Don't, don't try to leave here with a wheelbarrow full. Okay? Just get one or two things you can hold on to. Because if you get too much... You know, it, it just, like gathering manna. When they went out in the mornings and the children of Israel went out in the wilderness to gather manna, they gathered only so much as was needed and that they were able to handle and consume that day. Only what they used that, that day. Because if they gathered more, it rotted. It, 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 it was of no use to them, no value to them. In fact, it even began to have less value than it would have if they had left it alone. Okay? So take as much. The Bible says, have you found honey? This is Solomon writing to us. Have you found honey? Eat only so much as is good for you, lest you eat too much and vomit it up. Interesting. Well, that is a, that's a very good, you know, uh, scenario of life. And it applies not only to what we eat, you know, because if you go tonight to some buffet and, and, you know, and you go with me over here to Golden Corral, if you're not watchful, you can eat so much of that good thing that when you leave there, you'll feel sick and you'll end up, you know, losing it all. Okay. That's the same way with the bread of life. We, we can just, just, just try to get so much that we actually get nothing, you know? It just becomes confusing, and we can't pay attention to what we got. And, and, and so tonight, let me encourage you, and every time you go to the Word of God, do your best. When you read your Bible in the mornings, do your best to get one or two little nuggets. One nugget is good. One, one, one something. I try to get something God is saying to me and something I believe God will say through me. I try to get a couple at least. Something that I can hang on to that I know is for me and something that I just can't wait to give somebody else. Okay? So tonight, won't you give that a shot? Okay? Take something tonight home with you. Take something tonight and uh, uh, make sure that you, know, you have enough to eat. The Bible says he will give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Tonight, God's going to give you bread and seed, something for you 
and something to sow in the lives of others. All right? We're going to be in Acts chapter 9 tonight. And while you're turning to Acts chapter 9, uh, it can be successfully argued... I will successfully argue that the single most important thing in all the universe is family. The number one biggest, most important thing in all of the universe is family. Specifically, God's family. He has shown us that. Our family should be very important to us because we have a pattern from heaven that God is working for family. The only thing he's working for. In fact, the reason why God sacrificed Jesus on the cross of Calvary, the reason why God watched his son suffer and die was so that he could produce more family. He wanted family. God, the only thing he will have left from all of his efforts on planet earth is family. That's why God chose to be a father, and he calls us his children. He wants family. And God loves and serves and saves and forgives and delivers his family. The most amazing thing in all the world to me is that God gave me a choice to be a member of his family. Isn't that amazing? God gave you a choice to become a member of his family because God is going to take care of his family for the rest of eternity. That's what this book is all about. And Jesus came so that we would have a door into the family so that he could offer us an opportunity to become a child of God. Prior to Jesus coming and giving his life on the cross of Calvary, the Jews were called the children of God because God had adopted them. He chose them. He loved them, and he called them his children. And whenever Jesus gave his life on the cross of Calvary, a door opened it, so whosoever will, anyone who wants to, not only Jews but Gentiles, can become a member of the family of God. No longer are people born born into the family of God, are born as children of God, are born in some way special to God. Now everyone has an opportunity to be born again, born again into the family of God. And we become the children of God because we have faith, because we believe in Jesus Christ, and because we receive him as Lord and Savior. There are two things necessary in order to be successful in anything you do. Being successful in a test, being successful in, 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 in some endeavor. Number one, it's critical that you know what to do. You must know the right answer. We've gone over this time and time before. Number one, the most critical thing in being a success in life is knowing what to do. Number two thing is doing it. Okay? That's the, that there are basically two steps to about any test you take. Number one, knowing the right answer. Number two, making application of that. If I said, what is two plus two? This is a test. What is two plus two? You know, uh, if you did not know the right answer, you're just guessing. You're just, I mean, you have very little chance. Imagine all of the numbers there are in the world, and that's the odds of you getting the right answer. What is two plus two? You might work real hard trying to figure out, and you might guess it. But most likely, you have a great, the greatest opportunity is to fail when you do not know the answer. When you do not know what to do, there are so many opportunities to fail. But even if, when I said, what is two plus two, even if you knew the answer was four, unless you wrote it down on the paper, unless you applied it to the test you would still fail. You could sit there knowing the answer and still fail the test. You could know the answer, 
more than the person beside you and them guess what was right and you not put anything on the paper and they could pass not knowing the answer and you could fail knowing it. Isn't that amazing? That's the way it is in marriage. That's the way it is with money. That's the way it is with every aspect of life. When we know the answer, that's the way it is with salvation. When we know the answer, when we believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we must, number two, then take a step and receive him into our heart as Lord and Savior. And when we do that, we become born again, a child of God. We can know him and not receive him, and it does not impact our lives. You can know more about Jesus than the person sitting beside you. But if they go ahead and accept him as Lord and Savior, knowing less about him than you do, you would end up outside of the family and them inside the family. That would be a horrible, horrible situation in life. Well, it's important that we realize that the most amazing thing that God gave us was an opportunity, was a choice to make to become one of his children. It's a personal choice, and some people get more encouragement. Some people get greater opportunities to be born again. That's the truth. It's a sad truth. But some people on the earth get more opportunities and they get more encouragement to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, to be told the right answer, to be encouraged to apply that answer to their life. Some people get less opportunities. Some people also have less encouragement or perhaps no encouragement in their life to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. It is very important to realize that the Lord... God Almighty has created this door and he wants us to make sure that we encourage others and give them opportunity in as much as we are able so that they can not just be encouraged to know what to do but also to do it. And uh, many people, most people will make that decision if they are given that opportunity. When Queen Isabella of Spain in the year 1492, when she was talking to Christopher Columbus, I believe it was 1491, when she was talking to Christopher Columbus in the court of Spain, and she said, what makes you willing to put yourself in such danger? What makes you willing to venture off into the unknown uh, with, 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 you know, facing peril and perhaps death. What makes you willing to go and, 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 and risk your life on the unknown? This was his answer. And I quote from Christopher Columbus in his book of prophecies. He said, Queen Isabella, the fact that the gospel must be preached to so many people in such a short time, this is what convinces me to go. Wow. Isn't it amazing? He had a conviction that many people, they, they were, you know, lying in the balance. They were waiting. They, were, they, they, they needed to hear. In the year 1598, there was a 43-year-old Spanish descendant, son of a silver miner, a Spaniard, who had immigrated to Mexico. And he lived in Mexico with his father, who was a silver miner. 
This young man was 43 years old, and he got it in his heart that he felt compelled and convicted. I've got to go and tell people about Jesus because people need to hear. They need to be encouraged, and they need to somehow uh, you know, uh, uh, hear and be given an opportunity to connect with the God that is preparing their heart. You see, God prepares their heart, and when he finds someone willing to open their heart, he makes sure from whatever angle that they have the opportunity. They may not have as many opportunities as some, but God, that's God's responsibility, not mine. My responsibility is to give everyone I can an opportunity to hear the gospel, receive a clear message of the gospel, and encouragement to get born again. This 43-year-old man, his name was Don Juan de Oñate. Interesting, huh? He's the founder of El Paso, if, you, if you've uh, ever read that history. There's a statue of him there in El Paso. Don Juan de Oñate. And in his desire to tell people about Christ, he led a large group of people, about 500. He led them from, from deep in Mexico, Santa Barbara actually, all the way across the Chihuahuan Desert, which is the largest shifting sand dune in all of North America. And they faced peril and they, they were actually captured by some enemies and, 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 and they were starving and they were thirsty and everything else. But he led these 500 along with some sheep and horses and, and oxen and, and they finally got across. And when they got into smelling, sniffing distance of the Rio Grande, the animals could smell the water and they took off and stampeded. And if you'll go down to a little place called San Elizario, 14 miles south of El Paso, I was down there probably about a decade ago, uh, eight or 10 years ago, and I saw in a plaque there, I would not have believed it, but I found a plaque there in San Elizario that says on that day, perhaps it was in May of, 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 of 1598, uh, uh, two horses from this group of Don Juan de Oñate's party who were just hungry to go and tell somebody about Jesus, risking their lives, and uh, two horses that jumped into the Rio Grande drank so much that their stomachs burst. That's how much suffering and how thirsty and how empty they were on their trek to tell someone about Christ. When they got to San Elizario, it's just on this side of the Rio Grande River, right on the bank of the Rio Grande. When they got to San Elizario, they began to witness to the indigenous Indians of that area. Now, sitting right there today is the same mission that has been there since May the 29th, 1598. The mission is ongoing still. It's, it, it, there's been a few different little buildings there, but it's in the same spot. It's the longest ongoing mission in the United States with its continuing single purpose. Isn't that neat? Right there to those same ind indigenous peoples today that they were in 1598. Well, they got saved. So many got saved that Don Juan de Oñate commissioned one of his um, lieutenants to, uh, to uh, write a play, the very first play written in North America, to write a play, 1598. Now, by the way, that's a quarter century before the pilgrims took off from Plymouth and came this way, okay? All right. So this play was written, and while people were practicing the play so that they could put it on, a church was built, an arbor that held 500 people. 
That's a pretty big little church. And they built it in 10 days. All volunteer work. They, because of the long and arduous journey, Don Juan de Oñate gave his, his, all, all of his men, he gave them, said, you, you can have two weeks vacation. Don't have to do anything. Well, during those two weeks, they got all these Indians born again. They built a church that held 500 people. They wrote a play. And when they got ready, and they, 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 they performed the play. And it was all about how God wins people through other people and how the indigenous peoples of Tejas had received Jesus as Lord and Savior because of the witness of a few Spaniards that, that, that made that long, hard journey and told them and gave them an opportunity. Isn't that amazing? Well, a little Texas history there for you. I hadn't planned on that. I hadn't, uh, but uh, it came fresh to me this week telling someone else. But it, that's amazing to me how ready people are to say yes. And, and the great examples we have behind us of people who took a chance to, to, to see people born again and become a child of God. What, what an amazing opportunity. You see, God wants to use us to tell others. God prepares hearts. And when people are willing, God will find someone that will go and help them say yes to Jesus. We need to make sure that we are promoting Jesus everywhere we go. You know, get, get used to saying Jesus. Just get used to saying Jesus. Just get used to it, okay? Get used to saying, get, get very comfortable saying Jesus. Not Jesus, but, you know, not, not oh, oh, Jesus. Not, 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 not that one, okay? But get very used to saying Jesus. You know, Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. You know, well, at any rate, uh, God wants family and God needs our help. He needs the help of, 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 of people, Unfortunately, not everyone is willing to help God. And then at times, when other people get born again, sometimes, you know, I mean, these native indigenous Indians were not like those Castilian, you know, high-bred Spanish aristocrats owners of silver mines that had come at the behest of the king and had been sent and been given land grants in Mexico. And, you know, I mean, I mean, these were people, these were some important wealthy people. And they went and reached a people that were nothing like them, that perhaps could have turned on them and, and, and went to war with them and killed them. And, and you know, but, but, but there was a, a, a compassion and a compelling desire to go and tell others Go and tell people who have not heard, who do not know, who need desperately to understand. Well, what a, what a mission. Same thing with Christopher Columbus. The fact that the gospel must be preached to so many people in such a short time. This is what convinces me to go on this adventure that is beyond imagination, beyond description. There's, there, there's a compelling in my soul to reach out to people who are not like me and maybe don't even like me, won't like me, and may even try to kill me. I want people to know because God needs help. Not only does God need us and want us to help him grow his family, unfortunately, as I said, not everyone is willing to help but also at times when people get born again, sometimes those who are already Christians and clean and, you know, I don't do that anymore. Sometimes they don't want to treat other people who just get born again like their brothers and sisters. 
I know y'all have never seen anything like that. But sometimes there, 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 there are Christians who don't like the rich and there are Christians who don't like the poor. There are Christians who don't like bosses and Christians who don't like Democrats and Christians who don't like Republicans. And there are Christians that won't have anything to do with Christians that are not like them. Especially if they just get born again and they come in and my goodness, they, you know, they, they have a earrings and they have, you know, tattoos and they're, and they're you know, they're, 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 they're wearing, you know, uh, things that maybe you wouldn't wear and, and uh, or else they're coming in you know uh, a dress nicer than you you know and then maybe they talk a little more educated than you do and maybe uh, maybe they haven't been saved long enough to have to have realized that they're coming into a family maybe they think that they're more important or maybe they think that they're less important maybe they think God really doesn't love them or or, or the church really won't accept them or maybe they think that 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 that, you know my goodness uh, you know all these people are blessed just to have me here you know I mean people from all walks of life Get born again. Rich people, poor people, Democrats, educated, uneducated. They get born again. And, and God wants them. He brings them into a family. In, and, and he wants them to experience family. Paul, that's what you experienced last Wednesday night right here. You know, family. You know, he walked in and he wondered, is anybody going to like me here? Well, hey, my goodness, you found out. Family. One of the things he said to me, I got tattoos on you know, I don't know if you looked up on stage, but right behind him sitting right there was Katie. She was up on stage singing and you know, <laughs> family. He probably looked at me and said, he doesn't have any. You can't see whether I do or not actually, but you know, there's none on my arms anyway, right? <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> family, young people, old people, you know, Ancient people, you know, people who are, you know, just stepping out of drugs or, 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 or just, you know, stepping out of their, their, their posh environment. You know, uh, they're, they're, they're political people and, and, and you know, uh, uh, leaders of industry and, and people who are, you know, um, uh, professional ball players and, and actors and actresses. All people. God wants every person to be born again and then to be accepted into a family and treated like family. God even loves sinners. And some people are just one step out of having been a pretty committed sinner. And sometimes all that sin ain't washed off of them yet. It's washed off in the spirit, but we kind of still see it hanging on in the flesh. You know? Well, at any rate, Jesus reached out to sinners, and Jesus spent a great amount of his time with people who were strong, with people who were aggressive, with people who were decisive. They were opinionated. You know, uh, they were influencers uh, in their circles. Jesus reached out to the poor and needy, but he also reached out to those who were wealthy and for those, th- th- those who were uh, 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 leaders, community leaders of the day from all walks of life. In fact, some of the most wealthy and influential leaders, two of the most wealthy and influential leaders in Jerusalem, one of them's name was Nicodemus, the other one's name was Joseph. They became disciples of Jesus. He hung out with them, he taught them, and they ended up being with him even after his crucifixion and carrying his body and burying it in the tomb. Once Jesus was teaching the multitudes in Capernaum, 
And he had been casting out devils and healing the sick. And, and uh, uh, you know, Jesus was always embracing people. You know, uh, you know, God wants family. That's why Jesus came, to be the door into the family of God. Believe and receive and, and, and become my child. You know, let me, let me adopt you into my family. Become my child. That's what God wants. That's all he wants. And that's, that, that, that's what he's fighting for. That's what he gave his son for. And Jesus came and, and, and was being that open door. And, and there he was teaching in Capernaum. And, and one day in Matthew, the 12th chapter, while he was teaching a great multitude, he had been healing and he had been uh, delivering people from demons. Uh, his mother and his brothers came outside. They wanted to perform an intervention. Have you ever had an intervention? I've had one. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had people come and intervene and in my life thinking I was just a little bit too, you know, too much Jesus. Said, you got to be, that's what they told me. You got a little too much Jesus and we think you went crazy. You know, um, I had my own parents come and search my house for drugs because they thought I was on drugs because I just had a little too much Jesus. My parents had loved Jesus. I said, son, something's wrong with you. I said, what is it? They said, you just gone a little crazy about this Jesus thing. Well, praise God. A little bit later, I got to lay hands on both of them. They, you know, they ended up like me. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, so at, at any rate, they were going to have an intervention because they thought Jesus, the older brother, Jesus, the son, he, oh, my goodness, he thinks he can heal people. He thinks, so they, they were outside and, and somebody came in the house and said, Jesus, your, your mother and your brothers, they're outside and they want to talk to you. They want to have a little adventure. You need to go out there. They want to take you back home. And, and uh, 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 Jesus said in Matthew 12 and verse 48, the last part of that 48, Jesus said, whenever they, whenever they said, you know, your brothers are, are you know, your mother and your brothers are outside. He said, well, who are my brothers? Who is my family? This was something Jesus asked. It's a reasonable question. Who are your brothers? I mean, Jesus asked, who? Who is my brother? You know? Who are my brothers? Good question. Hold that thought, if you would, while we turn our attention to the book of Acts, chapter 9. I didn't forget. You thought I did, but I didn't. I'm, 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 I'm right on cue here. Okay? Hold that thought. Uh, while we look at Acts chapter 9, and we're, we're continuing our study in the book of Acts. It's a very powerful letter given to us by the hand of God. Hold that thought, who is my brother? Hold that, okay? Now, by the time we get to Acts chapter 9, and we've been trying to do a chapter each week, or at least a representation of the chapter each week for the last few weeks. Uh, by the time we get to Acts chapter 9, the church has a few thousand people in it, in Jerusalem, and... Uh, they had chosen some deacons to help with all the extra work of taking care of the church and feeding and stuff. And, and one of the deacons named Stephen, man, he was just, I mean, he was just full of faith and power and did miracles and was preaching and teaching. And, and, and some religious groups uh, there in Jerusalem did not like uh, that, that they were losing members and, 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 and Jesus was gaining members, okay? And they felt very protective and very jealous and very zealous and, and they were religious zealots. And they came along and started a, a, a debate with Stephen and Stephen they just couldn't they, they just couldn't break through he was just you know telling them about Jesus and they, they were just upset soon they got angry and then as a result of this ramped up thing we, we, we talked about it last week they drugged Stephen outside the city and stoned him to death and because of that Man, everybody got afraid. Great persecution came to the church in Jerusalem, Acts the 8th chapter says. And with that great persecution, the, the, the Jews, many of them were scattered all over 
uh, uh, you know, through Judea and Samaria, and they just went everywhere, preaching to Jews and teaching, you know, about Jesus. But they got out of Jerusalem because of the persecution, and everybody left. A lot of people left. A lot of the members left, uh, but none of the apostles did. You know, it's very important that the apostles didn't scatter at that time. You know, they ended up paying for it, but they didn't scatter at that time, and they 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 weren't uh, they weren't in it for themselves. But God used people who you know God didn't cause the persecution but the persecution scattered them and God used the scattering like seed to to make uh, you know uh, witnesses of these people all over that part of the world and um, so uh, one of the men who was there at the stoning of Stephen his name was Saul Saul of Tarsus he was a Jewish religious zealot, a young man who was committed to what he knew was right, even though he was wrong. And he was not accepting of Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, he wanted to put an end to the followers of Jesus. And so uh, he went to the high priest and he asked the high priest, he said, he said, would you give me letters? Would you deputize me so that I can go around and hunt down all those Jews who are believing that Jesus is the Messiah and I can arrest them and I I can bind them and I can drag them back to Jerusalem and, and you can put them in trial and some of them perhaps are going to be put, you know, in, in, in stocks and in prisons and, and you know, lose. And I mean, you know, so the high priest said yes and they deputized him and they gave him letters. And so Paul goes off to Damascus on his way to Damascus and he's walking towards Damascus. Uh, you, you can read about it in, 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 in the first uh, nine verses or so. As he's walking toward Damascus in Acts 9, you know, Jesus appears to him. A dynamic divine intervention, what we call a Christophany. Jesus Christ appeared to him and Jesus spoke to him. And as a result of Jesus appearing to him in this great light, Paul was blinded and Jesus told him to go into the city and he would be told what to do. And so basically, the, uh, you know, uh, Saul of Tarsus said okay and blinded men led him into the city and took him into a house there and there he sat in a house blinded for three days he didn't eat he didn't drink he just prayed to almighty God he was praying and in a vision he saw something he saw let's read about it Acts chapter 10 okay in Acts chapter 10 excuse me Acts chapter 9 verse 10 Acts 9 verse 10 now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And Ananias said to the Lord, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to Ananias, arise, get up, and go to the street that is called Straight. Go to Straight Street. And inquire at the house of Judas. For a man called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. Now listen, when people pray to God, one of the things that God has a habit of doing is sending people to help them understand what it is that they're praying about, what they're praying for, to bring them encouragement, comfort, direction, wisdom, to bring them salvation. We'll see this again in Acts chapter 10. And so in verse number 12... God continues, the Lord continues talking to Ananias. He said, and, and you know, Saul of Tarsus, he's there praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. In a vision, he's seen you. 
He has already seen you coming in and putting your hands on him that he might receive his sight. Talking about physical sight there, but also, I believe, a great spiritual sight as we would continue to read in this account. Verse 13, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man named Saul of Tarsus. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Now here, Ananias is building a case. I really don't want to go. I've heard about him. He's a bad man. He's a bad guy. He's a bad dude. He's not a good man. He's a man that has caused a lot of harm and a lot of grief to, to the saints, to your children in Jerusalem. Verse 14. And here, Ananias says... This same Saul of Tarsus, he has authority in this city from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Evidently, he's speaking here to Jesus. Jesus, he has authority. He's a bad guy and he came here to arrest people like me. Okay? And bind us up. I don't want to go. That's the implication. I don't, you know, I don't want to go. But in verse 15... Jesus says to him, the Lord said to Ananias, go. Go anyway is the implication. <laughs> Whether you want to or not, go anyway. Yeah, I know, I know, but you go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine. Here, Jesus is saying, I, I've, I've chosen him. I'm, he's, he's one of mine. I've chosen him. And to bear my name before Gentiles kings and the children of Israel. My goodness, all of a sudden Ananias gets a bigger picture of this person that he wanted nothing to do with. Verse 16, Jesus continues, for I will show him, Ananias, how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Verse 17, and Ananias, as a result of this, got up he went his way, he entered into the house of Judas, and there he found Saul of Tarsus, and laying his hands on Saul, he said, the next two words, Brother Saul, the title of my message. Brother Saul, wait a second. Here Ananias is just dissing Saul. Here Ananias just saying, I don't want nothing to do with him. He's a bad man. He's a bad man. I don't want anything to do with him. Do you know what he does? Do you know what he's planning on doing? No. Uh, no, no, no. Look, I've chosen him. He's one of mine. He's going to bear my name. He's, he's mine. Ananias gets up and goes, and brother Saul. From bad man to brother Saul. From I don't want anything to do with him. He's not like me. He doesn't like me. He's going to hurt me. He has, he, he's, he, he's not a good guy. To brother Saul. Brother Saul. Not just Saul. Not, <laughs> I don't know why God have anything to do with you. But okay, if he's going to, okay, now go. Brother Saul. 
This is written for our admonition to understand here that something changed in Ananias' life. Something changed in his perspective. Something changed in his world whenever he found out that this bad man had what was carrying with him now the name of Jesus. He was fighting against all the saints and now he was a saint. Okay, he went from bad man, I don't want anything to do with him, to brother Saul. Immediately, Ananias changed his perspective, his attitude, his gratitude, his outreach, his willingness to embrace this man. He was wanting to push him away. But when he found out that he was born again, oh, when he found out he was a believer in Jesus, oh, yes, brother, you know, yeah, you were a sinner. You were lost. You were bad. You were trouble. But now you're my brother. Now you're my family. And since you're my, you know, you, you, you may not know anything different. You may not even, you know, act a whole lot different. You may talk the same. You may not walk just like I walk. You may not know what I know, but you are family. Whether you're like me or not, you are family. Family. That's a rare commodity to be able to embrace someone else whom you before did not like, did not trust, did not want to speak to, did not want to be around. And all of a sudden, they have a life experience with Jesus, a divine encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the witness comes to you in your own life that they are born again family. You know, I have some people in my family that if we were not related, I would never see them again. Just because you're family does not mean <laughs> that, you know, they're like you or you like them, but they're family. And there's something powerful about family. It's God's intent that family is one of the most powerful and most important expressions, realities, and experiences on planet Earth. Because it is the most powerful thing in all the universe family. To be a child of God grants us entrance into the very throne of the creator of the universe, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Amen. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from Saul's eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he rose and was baptized in water. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Saul changed, but he was also welcomed. They were a little afraid of him. But Ananias, Barnabas, these men stood up and embraced him as family, brother Saul. Who is my brother? No. That's what Jesus asked. Well, who is your brother? How could Ananias make such a statement, brother Saul, when he knew all the things that Saul had done? 
It's because even though he knew the horrible past, he also understood the great future that Saul had as a child of God, the eternal future. It seems to me that we are completely out of control as to who our family is. It's not up to me. Do you know, whenever I was born, the fourth child in my family, my brother and my two older sisters, they had reason to have slapped my mama, to have brought them someone like me into the home that they had to take care of, that they had to watch. Whew. I drove the tractor home from school from the time I was just a little boy. I'd get there early. My sisters rode, rode the bus most of the time. I'd get there and lock all the doors so they'd have to stay outside. I kept them out till Mama almost got home. Convinced my sister just two years older than me to ride the tractor home with me one day. I got just to the house and I jumped off of it and left her on it. My other sister, she still won't get on any horse today because I got this horse. My daddy brought this horse home and told me, son, see what you can do with it. And I was, I was about 14. I'm about 13 maybe. She's four years older than me. She was about 17. And I just convinced her how sweet and wonderful that horse was. And I had just ridden him and he was not. And uh, he, he didn't know what. So I got her up on him, that horse. And then uh, I just went, ha! I'd slap that horse. That horse ran around and around and around. We had an eight-acre field that we rode the horse in. Rode around and around and around the horse until my daddy got home. It was like hours. It was, and, and, and uh, you know, she was just holding on because there's nothing else she could do. And yet, you know, I mean, they didn't get a choice about who was going to be born their brother. We don't get a choice. We're completely out of control. It's God's choice who he lets in his family. And I really should not be complaining about it. Uh, not as much trouble as I gave my family. God chooses. It's important that we never look beyond the heart and the soul of another individual to decide whether or not we're going to treat them like family. That doesn't mean we agree with them. We may admonish them as a brother. We may correct them. We may instruct them. We may get on to them, you know, but always from the standpoint of we're family. We're not going to put up with this, but we're not going to end up hating you and dividing and wishing things about you that we should never wish for family. Family. Family means everything to God. Jesus asked this question in Mark 12, verse 48. Who is my brother? Who are my brothers? He answered it in Matthew 12, 50. He said this, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. This evening, I hope from Acts 9 that we catch a glimpse of how important family is to God and that we not allow especially some small, petty difference or some economic variance 
or some educational gap or some racial differences to divide us. We're family. And we are family with every other born-again Christian in all the world.